and I got some check marks. So fingers crossed because we've got a mixture of rain and freezing rain here. And so uh, like trees could fall down over the internet at any given moment. I, I'm, got I'm just big, keep your fingers crossed. It's all good. All right. come people, back start, people, and do people, people are starting to pile in. So let me, uh, let me run the introduction. I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Dealmaking, the podcast, YouTube channel, and blog, where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses while controlling risk. So if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things, I talk to interesting people, and I answer your questions every week right here. So be sure to hit like, and be sure to hit subscribe, and let's get to it. Hey, Wesley, good to see you. How are you? Good to see you again, David. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. And uh, so, uh, you know, people probably don't know you. So why don't we talk about you? You're in South Carolina right now. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, how you ended up becoming a lawyer? Yeah, I'm in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. So I'm over here on the coast. We're in the, you know, on the water over here. Um, so I uh, grew up in a really small town. I'm, I'm not going to take it too long, but 45 minutes down the road, uh, 6,000 people in my town. Um, and uh, really, we had no lawyers or really professionals in our family. We had a bunch of entrepreneurs and business people, really. And so, uh, you know, I kind of followed this study, made good grades path and woke up and was in this, you know, gigantic law firm. And my now wife, I remember we were dating at the time and I was like, I can't do this forever. And so I kind of almost had a career change and, and became like, to me, a business owner, like a, you know, re, reinvigorated career by becoming, marrying that kind of entrepreneur business owner within being a lawyer. So, um, you know, I, I had to do some soul searching to be like, what do I really want to do to enjoy this legal career? Because I don't like, uh, you know, I don't like trying to yell at somebody all day long and, and not terribly petty on a day-to-day -day basis. So I've been drawn to the uh, business side of both running a law firm and being a lawyer. So we tr I tried to uh, find a little niche there. David, I'm not sure if you still got me or not. Um, yeah, you know what? It was just a, a little little hiccup here with the uh, with the internet, but, but let's keep going. Um, so, I've met quite a few attorneys actually over the course of the years who've been in these big big firms and have, and done the same thing that you have. They wanted to go out on their own. Is it is the difference the size of the firm or is it the type of law that that these different types of firms practice what what is the biggest difference it's uh it's probably closer to the size for me it's the like control so uh my brother and i ended up opening a law firm together we've now got about 12 people in it but we control our values we control the types of cases we control the clients whereas before it's do this bill this number of hours come up with this pitch on this case, which you may not, you know, like may not agree with even, um, but it's more, you're just, uh, you know, selling widgets of, of billable time. Whereas when I open my own with my brother, we get to have these bigger conversations about who do we want to help? How do we want to help them? What, you know, it's still about making money and a profit and creating jobs for other people and help, but we can bring it back to having some purpose and fulfillment for me, which is, a lot of it becomes more fun because I put myself in this business arena um, and that's just different every single day. And I love that. You know, there's a new challenge, but there's also, you know, a lot of the, the lawyer stuff, there's there's no real win, you know, like, but when you put yourself in the business world, there's, you can find wins for your clients and it's a very rewarding uh, place that I found to practice it. But I think it's primarily that uh, ability to, to decide who you want to work with and, and who you want to be, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and so really, I mean, this is almost the same sort of existential journey that a lot of people make when they decide to leave just the big corporate environment in any business and they want to go out on their own. It's about having control and, and maybe 
being able to execute your life more in spirit of, of what you think is important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's obviously you take the risk, but the financial upside is bigger. Typically, when you own your own business, as long as you can take the, the risk and the stress of owning it. I've always found that that stress is like kind of nothing compared to the whatever I was experiences as being the uh, you do this. I like being a problem solver. And so the being available, I'm going on vacation next week. And I've got three clients with different things going on. And I'm like, call me anytime. That's not stressful to me because I'm just helping them. Sometimes it's different if a boss is like, hey, I'm going to call you on Tuesday. I'm like, I don't, you know, it's, to me, it's stressful. It has its things, but it's nothing compared to some of the, uh, you know, the same sort of stresses from being uh, an employee, you know. So, I mean, your practice, uh, you you define yourself as a practice that helps business people, right? And so w- could you give us an idea of what the typical business kind of looks like for the, the people that uh, that you're serving? Yeah, absolutely. So I basically position myself to help business owners and, you know, various things. So a million things come up in their personal lives too, just uh, running the business. So, you know, we do contracts, we negotiate buying deals. We, I call myself like a generalist of, of business because there are specialty lawyers within each of these. So we'll help buy businesses, yeah. we'll do trademarks, we'll do intellectual property. I'm probably best at kind of quarterbacking and helping make sure that we see the business better than some lawyers just see the job and they'll bill $30,000 on one thing and the business doesn't make $30,000 off of it or get $30,000 of value, but they did an excellent job. And so I'm pretty good at, at keeping that, keeping the business uh, goals as primary and understanding that the lawyers are the subcontractors to serve the business goals. And so that can be a, a helpful perspective, I think. It's kind of our main differentiators because we run the business. We like reading about them. We like knowing about them. Um, and so let's say like in town, we, we represent a bunch of restaurants. So, you know, someone makes a comment, you know, an employee makes a comment to a customer, like a sexual harassment comment to another employee. So we got to stop and do an investigation, maybe come in and do some training. Uh, that same business will have like liquor license uh, requirements employee handbooks, you know, they'll have partners, other locations, lease negotiations, uh, and then just sort of other things that they come up, let's say uh, one's not doing so well, and we got to get out of the lease with minimal damage, we'll go work with the landlord and say, hey, what can we do here? Uh, and, and try to, you know, just make good decisions for our, you know, for our clients. So th- this is great because I, I like what you're getting into. Most of the time when we talk about lawyers here on this channel, we're talking about business transactions, we're talking about buying and selling companies. But you mentioned a whole bunch of things there that are sort of run-of-the-mill happenstance scenarios that happen when you're running a business over the course of just managing a business that all of a sudden you're going to need to to have someone that you can go to, an attorney to help you out with these things. What What would you say are some of the most common... Um, but, you know, we tend to think of calling a, a, a lawyer when you have some kind of trouble, but it's not always that reason, is it? I mean, you, you mentioned things like licenses and permits and things. So what are the most common reasons why your regular customers are calling you up, needing your help with something? Yeah. So it would, I would say the most frequent calls I get are HR kind of world problems. So It'll be, mm-hmm. what am I supposed to do here? You know, I bring up the sexual harassment comment. Like, what? when is the threshold where I need to fire this person? Or can I just talk to them? And that's a hard question. You say, you know, someone makes a pass at another employee and they're like, do I have to fire this person now? Or can I talk with them and it be okay? And those sort of things that kind of eat at business owners are like, I don't know the answer. And a lot of times there's not a clear answer. So it's these judgment calls and the more I work with with one client, the more often they will call me for almost anything. It could be a business decision. It's like, hey, I'm thinking about opening a second location. What would that, you know? And it's almost mm. just like having an impartial uh, business uh, partner in a lot of ways because we get so emotional. I'm talking them out of like, hey, I, I know you got wronged by uh, this employee. You know, they take something or 
feel like they took their time. I'm like, you just got to let that go and move on to your business and eat the 2000 bucks. Do not pay me to just, you know, go cause a fight or prove yourself or things like that. So I come in kind of as this sort of like impartial and they want it. They're like, thank you for giving me the feedback because I'm pissed. And I want to, you know, I want to really take it to them. And so it's these judgment calls, day-to-day things. And then you mentioned the compliance and, you know, buying something from a vendor. Let's say someone who runs a, uh, a coaching business or something like that. And they're like, hey, they wanted these tweaks to the contractor. We've got several uh, wedding. Weddings are real popular in Charleston. They host a bunch. And some, you know, really expensive wedding venues. So these are, you know, three and $400,000 weddings. And so when they come in, they want to, they've got a lawyer like negotiating their agreement for that venue. And it's pretty much set in stone. This is the deal, but they'll say they asked for these tweaks to an indemnification clause. And so they'll say, we mind looking at it. Yeah. That's like a half hour of time. And they've got this, you know, peace of mind, like we're fine. So that, you know, we've got people. We've got people piling in. Nuvi says that he's here. Uh, Victor's here. He says, hi, Wesley. Looking forward to a great show as usual. Uh, thanks to have you. Good to have you here, Victor. Great to see you again. Um, so you're based in Charleston, and you've kind of made the decision that you feel is best for you and your clients for you to have a relatively geographically limited practice. You want to talk a little bit about that uh, point of view that you that you have? Yeah. So, I mean... People, a lot of it is, there's a gazillion lawyers everywhere. Sometimes I'm like, I don't even understand how there are so many lawyers. You drive down certain portions, but there's just, we have, our clients are here. We understand what here is. I understand, you know, like the commercial market to a degree. I'll have clients say, is that a good per square foot on this lease? I'm like, not like you're expert on it, but that looks consistent. I know what, Right. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, a, a doctor, you take your kids, I've got three young kids who are sick all the time. When you take them to the doctor, they know what's going around in the community. They're like, oh no, I've had 10 cases of this, this week, it's not a big deal. He's gonna throw up for two days and have a fever, they'll be fine. It's kind of like that with the marketplace for us here when it comes to like commercial, uh, you know, leasing and, and things like that. Um, and there's just enough work here, I guess. We could expand it. Uh, South Carolina doesn't have a ton of big cities. It's pretty much Charleston. Is, and then you've got Columbia and got another one, Greenville. Well, um, so. You know what? The things you're pointing out, you know, the fact that you you sort of become entrenched within the community and you start to know who the players are. I mean, this is the one thing that I've I've had happen in a few deals that I've helped clients work on where we'll in, engage a, a local lawyer to help with the paperwork and stuff. And all of a sudden the lawyer like knows one of the other parties in the deals and like yeah. shares information with us that is useful that we weren't ever really looking for. It just happened to have chosen to work with the right person who is embedded in the community. And I would imagine when you're talking about some of these issues like leases and landlord things, if, if it has to do with a landlord that you've probably had conversations with before, it, it's probably easier for you to resolve some of these things. Yeah, 100%. So right now I'm in the middle of a kind of uh, like a, I have a restaurant being sold and my client is just wants to stop the bleeding and is selling the restaurant. But you've got to sell it to the new buyer. So they take over the assets of the restaurant. They're going to build out their own restaurant, but we can still sell our assets. And if the landlord agrees, we can assign the lease and all that sort of stuff. But there's been a bunch, a bunch of hiccups. It's like three months past when we thought it would be due. I know the landlord uh, somewhat socially and somewhat professionally enough to know that this landlord is not dragging us along and going to like bamboozle us, hopefully, or I would be surprised. So my client is freaking out. It's like, you know, everything keeps dragging on. So he thinks they're going to back out and back out and back out. And he's just trying to stop the bleeding. So he's desperate to get out of this thing. And I'm able to reassure him and say, look, I know this human being and I'm, I can't predict the future, so something could change. But I would be surprised if he was not being forthright with us. I think everyone's trying to make this deal happen. This is not like a dragging you along just for the fun of it. And that's what I truly believe. Now, there's scenarios where I could be like, I have no idea why it's why this is going the way it is. But in this case, I'm able to reassure him, and we've worked together for you know over five years, so that's comforting to him. And so it, it 
it's just the localism of it, I guess, you know, knowing the parties, like you're saying. And there, to me, there's a lot. There's a couple of lawyers I've worked with in the past year that I'm like, man, that's who gives our profession a bad reputation. I don't trust a word this person is telling me. Like, and it's all so carefully plotted. I'm like, man, I'm like showing it, you know, the language to other lawyers in my office. I mean, like, what am I seeing? What am I missing? You know, it just makes you nervous. But when it's people that I trust, there's a there's a lot there because good lawyers aren't trying to sneak something in. You're trying to be, hey, what is our deal? Anything that's at issue, let me take it head on. This is where I'm at on it. You, yeah. and Let's grab it and let's make a real deal on it. Not like, you know, you exchange documents and there's some new sentence in there. And you're like, what was that all about? You know, like... Uh, I I've had I've had other uh, lawyers who work on uh, business purchase and sale describe how you know ideally it's a it's a collaborative kind of feeling when you're working on these business deals because it's a very complex endeavor that you're both trying to do and both parties have an idea of what they thought they agreed to it's a matter of making sure it's accurately described on paper and and it's this working together kind of thing but we've got other areas of the law which are very adversarial you know people are going to court and they're arguing with each other and stuff and do, do you find that that kind of thing sometimes bleeds into the the business law arena is it because there are some lawyers acting on in both areas of the law or yeah or is it just that. a different attitude it could be personalities but it can be the the business owner one of the business the clients too you know lawyers sometimes okay. catch a bad rap and they're like oh these lawyers are suing for everything i'm like well the the people behind the lawyers are actually the ones doing the lawsuit too so I, I, I agree in a lot of areas, but, you know, sometimes I always tell people it only takes one difficult person or uh, uh, jerk or whatever to make a dispute or a deal be much more difficult than it should be. And that can be the lawyer without question a lot of times is, but it can be the clients too who are like, I have clients who are like, ask them for another thousand dollars on a, you know, like $2 million deal. And you're like, come on, can we just... At some point, you got to trade, trade, trade and say, all right, I appreciate you making those gestures. I think we got a deal. You know, some people are just relentless in, in what they want. And so in those scenarios, I would only back them off. I would say, I think you're pushing it and you might make them angry, but, you know, that it's their call to make. Uh, but I, I do think some of this personality, but some of it is, um, you know, it's a, it's a client thing too. Sometimes clients, and this is just, if I was talking to other lawyers, sometimes clients want to see the bulldog. Some of them want to see the collaborative process. My personality is more the like, let's go, you know, I, I like playing sports and stuff. And I like the friendly competition. It's like, let's, you know, I'm representing my client. Let's go hammer this deal out. I want my client to get a little bit better than yours. But I also want to be fair, upfront, collaborative. Let's work through what we need to. Um, that's my personality. But some of them want like, Let's go, you know, a bulldog, you hear bulldog lawyer. I'm like, I like to growl when we need to, but I'd like that to be like once a month, you know, like when it's yeah. really needed. But some of them, some clients, they want that. They want aggression, aggression. And a lot of times for me personally, when I see that, I'll just say, you know, you, you might be happier with someone else because I'm, I'm just going to take it straight to them. And if there's a problem, I, I've always believed that I get a better result because, I'm forthright and I don't let an issue sneak by. I say, what about this thing? You know, have y'all taken a look at this and just make sure we're all on the same page. And, and part of it is that if you, if you sneak a deal by somebody, they're going to, they're going to ruin it anyway. Like if you pull one over on somebody, whether they're right or wrong, they're going to end up suing you or causing you problems. I'm like, you want it to be the deal. Like go find a good deal where you're both reasonably happy and and get it real clear and then you don't have to worry about it as much when you're when you, you know th really this is really interesting that you're good. saying this because i i over the holidays i do this special uh, called holiday chat where i do these consulting calls and i record them and uh and release them to people who are on my email list but one of the one of the callers was talking about this deal he had negotiated that had yet to close and he was talking about all these wonderful concessions he had managed to secure from the sellers and, and it was basically describing a very lopsided deal in his favor. And I said, yeah, I said they agreed to it because they don't understand what they agreed to. And it's not going to close. And because, I, because I've seen this before, it's, it's people will 
both parties will have an understanding of what they think they're agreeing to, and then they might sign papers and stuff. But if in the progression towards closing day, they begin to understand the exact terms and conditions they have agreed to, they can just dig in their heels and what are you going to do? You're going to you yeah. know, sue someone to force them to follow through on what they promised and then rely on that person to do a training transition to help you run the business successfully. Yeah. Like, there's there's so many things that are that you require cooperation from the other party on. It's not something you're going to uh, shoehorn someone into. You, you have to both be willing to walk through this together because you're both getting something out of it and you you feel like you're both being treated fairly. Yeah, I think it's a really great point and I'm glad you share that perspective. I mean, imagine someone who's more aligned with you, like your marketing company. Do you want them begrudgingly being like, oh man, they, they're get, they're the, they pay me less than everybody else. What kind of service do you think you're getting compared to the other people? You know, like, they, they know yeah. that and it'll come back. Anytime it's a service, you want to pay the value of the service. If not, you know, an extra bit more so that they're giving you even better service. If you, you know, if you can, you know, afford the marketer and be like, hey, here's your, you know, proverbial tip, but just take extra good care of me. If you're negotiating on products, sure. You know, like it's a product, whatever it is. But if it's a service, you don't want them to be, you know, trying to make it right in some other way, like you're saying, let's say there's some, you know, clause, I guess you can do some earnouts and stuff like that to keep people honest, but you're still going to have in the back of people's head looking for opportunities to make up for what they perceive as them getting a raw deal. It's just like the employee that feels that they're underpaid. They're going right. to, they're going to find ways to they're cut take corners and slack off. Yeah. They're going to take their time back that they, they feel is theirs. I agree. Yeah. Um, Billy says, hello, David. Thanks for always providing such value and educating us. You're the man. Thank you very much. And uh, Kevin says, hello from Lakeland, Florida. Good to see you today, Kevin. Um, you know, one of the the first time we spoke, I think I, 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 I don't know if you knew this or not, but um, Charleston, South Carolina is the place where Sunbelt Business Brokers started. And that's uh, Ed Pendarvis uh, was there for a long time and ended up teaching a lot of people this industry. And he taught me a lot of things, too. So I kind of think of Charleston like this mecca of small business deal making, you know, because because of I always heard Ed's stories, you know, back when he was helping people buy and sell businesses in Charleston. So can you give me a sense like uh, of um, sort of the types of deals that you most often see? Are, are, is it the deals we hear about on the internet, like people who are buying a business and getting an SBA loan and they're, you know, kind of going through all these steps? Or do you also get to see a lot more deals that are kind of made, you know, sort of in a different way with more seller financing or more one-on-one -on -one terms between parties? Can you kind of describe sort of the, the deal flow and what you see that people may not be talking about? Yeah, absolutely. And so it's a, not surprisingly a mix of all that. So me being yeah. how I am, is just like, we've got, you know, our network of friends and lawyers. And so I just end up working with lots of business owners. So Whereas maybe someone becomes more specialized or known for SBA banking or something, you know, they might end up getting the same thing over and over again. One of the joys of my business is most of them are a little bit different. So it's a lot of, um, I would say it's mostly an SBA loan is involved most of the time when someone's buying it. SBA mm -hmm. or a bank, a lot of people go through the, you know, do the SBA process. It sometimes can be comforting you know, too, for the, the buyer, because the, the bank requirements are so much, I think. Um, but we do have like a lot of owner financing uh, involved. A lot of times that will be like someone buying from within the business. You know, a lot of businesses are hard to sell. You take a law firm, you know, the, the way you sell it is from promoting people within. Uh, there's a lot of businesses like that that are more difficult to sell to a third party. And you're looking at you know, like owner financing and things like that. Uh, you know, and those, what you're looking for is making sure that there's security on the money and you have everybody kind of grouped together. But if I'm selling, you know, I'd rather get my money and move on and wish them well, right? You know, but, uh, you know, you're also, if you do the owner financing, it's usually someone you know and you feel like, I mean, you're betting on them. And so you kind of remain invested, you know, it can be like your family business. That's a lot of what we see is like, family business, you'll see franchises being, you know, moved around. Uh, right now we're working on like some uh, ice cream franchises, uh, pizza restaurants, um, uh, 
uh, a uh, what is a direct marketing like mail mail campaign okay. company, which is extremely bizarre almost because there's almost nothing to sell because there's it's relationships. They have people that hire this one person, so that's kind of it's all goodwill and a couple of computers probably. That's the whole. I thing. mean, like we, there's an accountant looking at it, and the accountant's like, I don't know how, really how to give value, and the guy makes a good living you know, a, a bunch of money, but you know, you, you take him away from it, like a, you know, kind of like a professional, you take the lawyer that people call away from it, unless they're coming through a website lead, you can't, that you can guarantee the, the lead generation, you know, what's it going to be worth the next day? So um, it's mostly, I would say most of our deals that we work on are like somewhere under the two to $3 million kind of family business, uh, a lot mm -hmm. of first time business, you know, people wanting to walk through it. Um, have you still got me? Yeah. Okay. On my end, it's kind of um, showing something on my camera. Oh, I don't know. That, have you, are you, have you still got me on the camera so, Yeah, it's not really one thing. We do see, I always like working with the employees that are taking it over. It's, uh, we have a, uh, like an interior design, a specialty product right now and and she's worked in the company for a long time and, is, and they do a great job they have a web presence and they're local and so we're taking over the lease and we're taking over the business and the vendors and there's like prepayments on all this sort of stuff and and so it's kind of nice to see people step into these business owner worlds and they never that's not what they sought out to do and you know like i think that it's kind of this uh empowering sort of thing for them they're like oh i can i can do this thing and um so those are always so what you know in your experience and and i don't think this has to do with our live stream i think it's something on your camera but um what would be some of the most common reasons that uh, that deals that you start to work on don't end up completing is it because people didn't understand what it was they were getting at or is it stuff that comes up in due diligence or is it that people can't settle on the some of the final terms at the end of the day what, what are the most common yeah, reasons why these I think it would be the through? earlier ones. So it, it would be a combination of um, the most recent one I saw uh, bus was a combination of, I think there was a, a lack of capital to step into it. It was a first time mm -hmm. business owner. They were uh, heading into retirement age. And I think underestimating, you know, thinking that buying a business is can be more passive than it is. And mm. so I think that there was a realization about how much work that, you know, it's like a, a, a big time job he's taking on. And then also from their perspective, they thought the financials didn't line up with what they believed it to be. So I think there was a mix of like, uh, I'm not sure this is what I thought it was and kind of going retreating into a more protective uh, stance and, and which makes sense for someone leading, you know, this was a, 60 plus year old gentleman to go put some of the nest egg into something that you start to um, get shaky on. So I do think there's a, if you overstate your business, it's going to come back on you. And then yeah. there's also, I mean, it's a lot of things, but I would say the, the capital, a lot of times when I see problems, I'll have clients be like somebody owes them, you know, 14 grand, they're ignoring them and whatever's going on. And I, a lot of times I'll say, I think they're just falling on hard times. So let's take a deep breath. I don't think that, you know, their Range Rover that they're driving is fully paid for now. So like that's usually, you know, a, a, a big source of the conflict is someone doesn't have the money to write the check or doesn't have that comfort or uh, whatever it is, or, or you haven't sold them on the comfort, you know, like, hey, this is the reason this is going to be profitable for you. So if you're selling a business, you want to be clear with them. This is what it takes for you to make whatever dollar figure a year. And then one day you could sell it for even more. Uh, so, you know, there's got to be a reassurance without, you know, promising the wrong thing. So this is what happens in the documents. You try to, the seller tries to disclaim everything and say, you've looked at it, it's on you, you know, but you want to at least lay the path forward and you can say, this is on you, but this is what I've done. And these are the results I've had. You know, like a lawyer, yeah. past performance, I've had a guarantee results kind of thing. But you got to let them see the road that it takes. Like, is it 40 hours a week in there or is it 60 hours a week? It's a big difference. Uh, I've, had a, I've had a lot of conversations with sellers where I, I sort of turn the situation around. And I ask, you know, if you were going to buy this, how would we be setting this up? 
And how much would you be putting in? And what would you be borrowing? And do the numbers bear that? You know, would you be able to make a go of it? And and the other thing too is that when somebody's buying a business, I mean, they're doing it because they want to avoid the risk of starting up a new business, right? We can all understand that. But the reason why you get into business is because you want to be able to provide for your family and you want to have some kind of opportunity. So the business can't be priced to the point where all the opportunity has been wrung out of it for the part on the behalf of the seller. There's got to be some uh, some meat left in it for the person yeah, that's making the acquisition there. so that they can be successful. They're still taking a risk, even though the, you know, the business is already functioning. And um, and, you know, what I you know, we can always point out, you know, just what you said, past performance is no indication of future uh, results. You know, businesses can go into uh, have a decline in sales. You know, things can change in a business. You can have unexpected expenses, et cetera. Uh, things can happen. One of the one of the, the one of the comments you made there uh, made me want to ask: Do you ever get involved in? Uh, you still there, Wesley? Uh, yeah, I'm here. Let me switch my camera. I think that uh, I told you I was having some camera difficulties. Well, to everyone, hey, Wesley warned me he had a new camera, so there there might be some uh, some some excitement about that. Uh, Victor says, "Great advice regarding paying the proper price for a service." I would agree. Victor, very good, very good advice indeed. Um, do you ever get involved? Oh, Wesley at the stream. All right, let me. Can y'all still hear me? I can hear you. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna get this figured out. Don't you worry. Hey, you know, it's it's funny because uh, I remember seeing a clip once on TV where they were they were looking at live television actors like in the 1950s or something, and they would like be performing live in front of the camera, and and some of the things that would happen to these people. Oh, there he's gone again. Let's try it again. Well, if y'all can hear me, I might. Would it mess you up if I re-signed in? Yeah, let's just continue with audio. Okay. Well, okay. what I was gonna what I was gonna ask you was, do you ever become involved in collections? Are there ever any businesses that have an issue with collections and, and go to seek a, a legal solution with your help? Uh yeah. So that I would say is extremely uh, frequent for us because you know, we're working with business owners on like a day-to-day -day basis. And mm -hmm. so what will end up happening when they'll somebody will reach out and say, Hey, this person, I've got a landscaping company. I I'm working on this email this morning. And he's like, well, I haven't sued anybody in, in the 15 years I've been in business. And so we sent a letter and said, if you don't, it's called a demand letter. If you don't pay by such and such date, we're going to file a lawsuit. And so he keeps getting all these emails and, uh, you know, saying, oh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. He finally got fed up with it. So this morning he's like, well, what does it actually look like to, to sue him? And I was like, I mean, we just, we hadn't incurred any of these fees because we didn't want to yet, but it'll be like a two or three page complaint that you file and then you deliver to them and they got 30 days in our state to respond. And the good thing about it for him is, you know, we helped with his agreements so we can get attorney's fees on it. We don't want to have to do any of this, but if you have to, you want to be able, you know, might cost. We got to make a, you know, a motion you know, for a default hearing if nobody responds. Or if they do, we're, it's going to go on for a year or so. And the emails, the calls, it builds up. So it can end up between ten dollars and $20,000 to collect on fourteen. So here's the pitch as a lawyer. I go to them and I say, look, you can you can pay my client the fourteen that you owe them right now. But you're going to end up with 30 or more at the end of the road if you don't because of the way we have this written which is an extremely fair way it's if we got to hire a lawyer to collect the 14 my client shouldn't be out that money to, to pay me to go get it and so it's a really useful tool in, in in having in all your agreements so you might have to enforce something like that do you do you find that a lot of small business people will kind of ignore the paperwork like They'll get out there in business. They'll start serving customers. They'll start doing things for different people. They'll start extending credit to people without ever stopping to realize, hey, I don't actually have proper written agreements with the people I'm doing business with. Yeah. So there's a couple of personalities that you're usually dealing with in business. And, and some of them I commend, they just go figure it out and, you know, we kind of wing it a little bit. I'm, you know, I'm a game plan kind of guy, you know. Uh, so you'll, I'll see, I'll have people come in and they'll uh, be like, I've never needed anything for, you know, 15 years. 
I'm like, well, I want to talk to you and, and understand why. Um, and so sometimes I'll, I'll pick their brain and then those type of people, they'll just come when a, when a dispute arises. And then there's other people who, who it eats them up to not be doing everything they're supposed to. So I say you, you kind of learn by experience, you know, or by forethought, I guess, learn from other people's experiences. So I'll have people starting a new business, you know, be two or three business partners. And one of them will be like, we're getting an operating agreement. That's happening. Everybody's like, okay, sure. I'm like, what happened to you? You know, like, well, what's your story on this? Because it means they went through a scenario where they didn't have the conversations they need to have to go into business together. And it ended up uh, probably a group of friends not going as well as they would have wanted it to go. And uh, so you see a lot of the experience. Nobody wants to spend the money if you're doing a tight, you know, venture. You want to spend it on making the money, you know. And I may it makes sense to me in some ways because uh, legal compliance and legal protections is a very protective stance. But it should probably be mm -hmm. thought of more as in a you know a, a offensive stance to prevent things, but. You know, it feels weird to start protecting and spending all this money to protect when you're like, you're new and you're like, what do I have to protect? So you, yeah. you, you just not, your brain's not there yet. And truthfully, like running a business, it's a lot of stuff, a lot of moving parts. So, you know, usually the people who do the best with it are the ones who have the capital to say, look, I'm going to pay someone else. So I don't have to, I don't have to worry about it, but I still know it's done correctly. Well, I, I get the question often from people who are starting businesses where they will ask me, at what point do I need to stop and make sure that I'm doing all the things to make sure my business is sellable? And and I'll often say, well, let's make sure that your business is successful first. Let's make sure that you can actually build it up to the point where you can draw you know, a fair wage out of it for yourself, for the work that you're doing all the time. And once you know it's you know achieved this viability point, now you can start to think about the next goalpost, meaning... You know, what might it look like if I was going to sell this one day? But do you think that same kind of idea might be applicable for going back and reviewing all your agreements and paperwork and stuff? Uh, yeah, I mean, to me, I like people are like, when do I start doing it? And I say as early as you can afford it, really, if you can build it into the budget, because it makes it easier all along the way, having that, mm. that resource. I like the idea you're saying is like, let's get, how do we prepare it to sell? That, you know, the reason it helps prepare it to sell is because it's doing what people want to see, which means it's doing what you're supposed to. Do you have the right employment agreements in place? Do you have your trademark uh, file? Do you have contracts that you can assign? That sort of stuff, because, you know, you, you want to make sure the value that you have is captured within your LLC. Uh, so the earlier, the better, you know, I, I think, because you can find lawyers and it's not the most cost prohibitive thing in the world but you um so your firm henderson and henderson you're based in charleston south carolina you you also have another business that is based around the idea of people being able to to work with contracts a little more affordably why don't you tell us a little bit a little bit about drafted legal yeah so drafted legal we run our, our business here and you know we end up with uh a good number of phone calls and you can tell we we like the business side of it and so um, in, in a previous life, I guess, before kids, I would talk to many, many entrepreneurs and lawyers and say, all right, this is what you need to do. You know, like I get, you don't want to spend the five grand on, on hiring the lawyer. And I'm like sympathetic to you. That's your, you need to make judgment calls on your own. And so we kind of had like some, some, uh, emails that we'd send to them and say, here's what you need to do here locally. And people really appreciated it. Uh, kind of, realize it could be more of a commodity so it's it's a uh, one part like kind of the world of legal zoom so you're buying the llc online or the templates we've just tried to take it a step farther and get somewhere between hiring a lawyer and buying these diy templates so it's not a law firm it's all set up the same way but our we pride ourselves on the customer service we get an email just this morning explaining the situation that they're in and saying, is this agreement right for it? So we're going to try to put them in the right agreement, answer the questions that we can, um, and then, you know, uh, let them know if they need a lawyer, that sort of thing. So just provide a little bit of, am I doing this right? Sort of trying to answer that question that says, you're doing this good enough for now. So you're not going to look up and be like, oh my goodness, I made this gigantic mistake. 
Uh, I never got an LLC. My personal assets are exposed or, you know, uh, you know, I didn't research my business name and someone else owns it. And so we try to guide them through the fundamentals so that when you look up a year later and you're making money, you can go talk to that lawyer and they're not like, hey, well, you got a big problem. It's more like, hey, you could be doing this a little bit better. So what what impressed me when I when I checked out the website is that so for everyone listening, what Drafted Legal offers is it offers uh, sort of their template contracts, but there is a video interpretation where you go through and explain each clause, why it's there, what it does, when you might consider removing it or amending it or changing it. So it's kind of like pre-recorded coaching that goes with the templated contract. Is that the, a good way to put it? Yeah, that is exactly the best way to put it. Because so when we do it, we have to make sure we don't create this like law firm or attorney client privilege. But I do I want to mimic what we were doing for people before, which is giving them advice that they can go work on and not being scared to go help people. That's the whole thing is like for me, creating a business is like other than, you know, who I married and my kids is the best thing. Best change in my life was going and creating my own business. And now we like doing it in other areas and helping people do it. So I'm like, anything I can do to nudge that and, and hopefully make that, you know, a profitable and helpful business on its own, we want to be able to do. So we use videos, but also there's very detailed instructions of some people are more, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like to go through the PDF. And what it says is, what's this clause? Basically, what is it? And why is it in here in layman's terms? And so it'll, you know, it'll have, you know, if it's a, uh, client agreement or something like that. It'll basically be like, don't touch clauses eight through 16. You know, these are, these are the legalese things that you want to have in there. If something goes wrong, it's going to protect you. But on, you know, section one, fiddle with this, however your pricing is and get it right, get it accurate, that sort of thing. So you take over the word yeah. document and, and fill it in as needed. Because, I mean, there are a lot of people out there in the world of business, especially who, work with and use contracts and adjust contracts and cha make changes to contracts who are not lawyers who who have been trained or taught or or whatnot in, in how to use these documents and so i think if somebody has some kind of familiarity with some of the stuff with with the content that you're providing through your service they could probably do an okay job and feel pretty confident like you said until the point where they, they know that they want to make the investment to have it all checked to make sure that everything is actually up and up. I think that's a really good point. People ask me like the legal requirements for a contract and, I, and I'm usually like that it's agreed upon. So there's not like a lawyer puts a magic wand on the agreement. Um, it's that the lawyer is that the lawyer is used to doing it. And so they know what needs to be agreed upon, but it doesn't mean that someone that's not a lawyer can't do it. So like, let's say if I have a new business I've never worked with. Well, I don't I don't really know yet how to write the agreement because I have to understand the industry before I can, you know, understand the pitfalls and what's around the corner and things like that. So someone, you know, a lot of times I'll say, you and I are going to have to sit down and help me understand this industry better before I can really help you. Uh, so it brings up your point is like the industry is a primary driver of how good you're going to be at writing uh, writing that agreement. It's also, you see on our drafted legal ones, we try to do industry-based bundles. And it's a very different thing than like a legal Zoom where it's just like they have a new word at the top. It's because different, you know, a fitness business, you know, these are like a lot of service things. A fitness business is very different than a coaching business, than a event, you know, management business, than, you know, and so on. Yeah, I, I think it's great. Uh, and so if people want to check that out, again, the URL is draftedlegal.com. Wesley? Yeah, you still got me? Yeah, you, you, were, you were silent there for a moment, though. Uh, sorry. I've got all kinds of technical difficulties, but we're, we're fighting through it. We can all just imagine you're wrestling with the cords and the cables of your machine right there now. I'm yeah, yeah. I don't know. I tried to get my image up there, so it was a little less boring. I don't know if it came through. Yeah, I can see. I can see it. So, so it's draftedlegal.com. Uh, yeah, draftedlegal.com. And then, so for any of your audience, if they add David, just your name, D A V I D, you'll get twenty percent off. It's LLCs and templates. Um, 
we've got we've just started a YouTube uh, channel that I'm new to. It's kind of like I like playing in the world of, of business and trying new business ideas. So um, we're just kind of trying to be as helpful as we can and see them seeing where it takes us. So, uh, you know, send any emails in there and we'll see if we can, you know, help any of your needs. This is awesome. Uh, we have a few more comments here. Uh, Lapserdak <laughs> says uh, maybe he recommends trying a cat filter, Wesley, that <laughs> might be able to help out with the camera issues. And, I'll have uh, that on deck next time. <laughs> concise advice. Thank you, Concise, for reminding me to ask everyone to give the thumbs up. It's very important for the YouTube algorithm uh, or whatever other platform you happen to be on. If you're listening to this later on a recording on a podcast, please give it a review on, on whatever app or platform you're listening to. Uh, thumbs up does help tremendously uh, with, with uh, helping to find new people to come and, uh, and share this information with. Um, Wesley, this has been a great conversation. Um, and, and there were a few questions that went into the, the comments that we weren't able to get to. But I'm just wondering if there's any sort of final parting words of advice for people who are in business or aspire to be about what they may, you know, a habit or an attitude they might want to take if they're looking to make sure that they don't get themselves into, you know, some really bad, expensive legal trouble. Yeah, um, I was reading this uh, book recently by a guy named Ryan Holiday. He does a lot of writes about these old Stoics things. Like the Marcus Ooh, the Daily Stoic. Yeah, yeah. So he's got another yeah. book, and I forget which one it is. And he's and he's writing about this old idea, and it's called the premeditation of evils. And the story he tells in there is a business. They're about to, a business owner is about to launch a business, and they're going to launch it in three weeks or whatever. And they walk in. He walks in the room and says, "This thing failed miserably. What went wrong?" And so it's an exercise in, all right, let's imagine things going wrong. Let's see what it would have been. So it kind of diffuses and disarms like, oh, it's your fault or my fault or I'm a loser or whatever. And it just lets you brainstorm. What are the things that could go wrong here? For example, today, my camera can go out. That's something that can go wrong. Do you have a game plan for it? Have you thought about the things? Are you going to keep going or pull the plug? You know, like think about the things that can go wrong in your business and, and have a plan for them. So I my personality is very game plan oriented. I'm, I'm far from a micromanager. I just like to have a general, what's my plan? What can go wrong? What are we going to do? What's our, what's our backup plan? And so to me, it's a really good business thought because it's like, it invites people to poke holes in our, in our business, but it's also kind of what a lot of the legal parts are. What can go wrong? Like, oh, well, we're not making, you know, we're not making the money we need to, or this person's angry at me. Uh, you know, this thing broke, someone fell and cracked their head on the score. You know, they're, so you're game planning for as much of these premeditation of evils as you can be. And you got to be okay with, with them. And so I talk to clients a lot and I'm like, this is technically a risk. I would put it somewhere less than 10%, maybe 5%, but this is something that can happen. And you have to be okay with saying I'm comfortable with that risk where it is. And that's the way it is with business. See, you got to be able to, you know, balance some of the parts that you can't control. And to me, the things that we can control, let's try to have a game plan for them and control them. And so that way our space, mental space, physical resources, financial resources are available to take on the things that we didn't see coming, the pandemics of the world, the, you know, bad clients of the world, the bad breaks, the whatever it is, a, a personal situation. You should, you could have a, drain on your personal resources someone gets sick your husband or wife can't work or something happens with kids got to go into a special school you know a million things in your life so you just want to be available to react you don't want to be you know everything's allocated and every single thing has to go right for this business to work yeah that's a that's a tough place to be you want to give yourself so, so that premeditation of evils is kind of a neat thing i've been on uh recently and kind of uh borrow from that that uh, book, or I guess it's, I think it's an old, you know, really. I, I think it's, I think it's great advice. And I lived through it uh, last night and this morning, uh, as a matter of fact, because I know one of the, one of the things I thought of several years ago, what's the worst thing that could happen would be to have my computer and my information be lost, you know, all the client files I'm working on and all the stuff I've created. 
And so years ago, I, I made the choice to move to cloud-based storage, which a lot of people now use as a matter of uh, as a matter of course. But I also do a a physical device backup every week, you know, to recopy everything for a, wow. a plan B to the the cloud. And last night, my computer crapped out, completely died. I took it to a, a technician and uh, was told that the hard drive was most likely fried, and they have to do some more analysis. But I had a full day of things to do today, including this live cast. And so at 9 a.m. this morning, I went and bought this computer that I'm using right now. And because I had planned for it, because I was using all that cloud-based stuff, as soon as I logged into Microsoft and Google, everything just magically came back to life. And I was able to, to make this call happen. And um, I was quite surprised at how fast everything came back. But I never had any anxiety last night in bed because I just knew things were in the cloud. And if they weren't there for some reason, they were on that weekly backup that I do. And, um, and boy, when you, when you plan for the things that might go wrong, you really can sleep better at night. Yeah, no kidding. And that way you're, you were able, ready to go. You weren't frantic coming in having, you know, uh, running around just to make it work. I was none the wiser on it. So it shows how effective it is. Yeah. Well, we have one last, uh, one last question. Can you put Wesley's email in the notes? I'll I'll put the URL to Wesley's law firm, and you must be easy to find. Your contact info must be easy to find. Yeah, absolutely. There. And you can put my email in there for anybody, and they can reach out. And we'll you know we'll probably run you through intake. But if it's something we can get on the phone and I can help with, I'd be happy to. Uh, obviously, all of y'all are like minded, budding entrepreneurs or business owners, and uh, are my favorite type of people to to work with and talk to. So uh, happy to help. My favorite kind of people too. All right. Thank you very much, Wesley. It's been great to chat with you today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Next All time, right. next time I'll have a backup camera, a backup camera for you. How about that? All right. We're gonna say goodbye with a few words uh, from today's video sponsor. Special thanks go to today's video sponsor, Mark Willis of Lake Growth Financial. Mark helps people better manage their personal wealth and business finances through the bank on yourself insurance strategy. This is something I've done personally and have gotten lots of positive feedback from people I've worked with over the years. Go to newbankingsolution.com to find a playlist of all the interviews I've done with Mark and to learn more about the advantages of these programs. While there, sign up to arrange a conversation about what this solution might look like for you. So how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses? Easy. Head over to my blog site at davidcbarnett.com. You'll find hundreds of articles and videos all for free. You'll find links to my books and online courses, and you can sign up for my email list and get emails covering topics that interest you and be notified of new videos. This episode of Small Business and Deal Making is brought to you by smbpodcastnetwork.com. The network is a collection of podcasts and shows from around the internet, which focus on bringing you interviews with amazing guests who share actionable advice, ideas, and information for small and medium-sized business owners and entrepreneurs. Visit www.smbpodcastnetwork.com to find more great shows and easily subscribe to be notified of new episodes. It's a great way to discover quality content. And if you've discovered us today via the network, then I hope you're enjoying the show and will consider subscribing directly so you never miss any one of our great episodes.